Well, we are uh, still celebrating all that God did last week on Easter weekend, and I just want to greet everybody at all of our physical locations, those of you joining online, any uh, returning or first-time guests, and uh, really just amazing to see what happened last week, and I just want to stop and celebrate that uh, with just just a few uh, numbers for you. Uh, The first is uh, we had over 1,000 people serving on ministry teams. It just takes a whole lot of people to uh, pull this off. I specifically... I uh, want to thank, uh, just, uh, I want to thank everybody, but I want to thank a, a couple groups of people, like our parking lot people. Like, I want to thank you guys. Like, it was crazy, especially uh, like that 945 service. Like, we were p- having people making up parking spots, you know, and I know that it was super challenging. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And then all of the people that served in our kids' ministries, uh, we... Um, you know, at the 945 service, I was really nervous because uh, I know we ran out of room at multiple campuses. Here at Northwest, we had over 400 people that couldn't get into this room. So they were watching on screens and other places around the building. And from what I understand, we didn't have to turn away any families. And so thank you guys for the way that you served and stepped up for that. And then uh, we had a little over 14,000 in physical attendance. And I just want to point out that last year we had a little over 8,000. So we saw that number nearly uh, double. Two years ago, uh, it was just me in a room with a camera guy. And, uh, you know, he had a mask on. All right. So, um, so uh, it, that was really incredible uh, to see uh, that uh, happen. We had uh, uh, a little over 7,000 people online. The number I really want to celebrate, we had 170 baptisms. And so amazing, amazing. And so we just want to stop and and celebrate that. And you might uh, be here, especially if you're just new to our church, and you might be wondering, like, are you just one of those churches that is all about the numbers? And I just want to say unapologetically and unequivocally, yes, we are one of those churches that is all about the numbers, but not for reasons that you might assume. Uh, We uh, are all about the numbers because behind each one of those numbers is a person. Like, man, that's somebody's spouse, that's somebody's kid, that's somebody's neighbor, and behind every person is a story. And there were multiple stories that came in over this last week, how somebody just encountered uh, the grace of God and a renewed sense of hope. And so we will never get tired of celebrating that. Now, I do want you to know that we're not about just amassing crowds and, you know, getting people in seats and, you know, just uh, trying to uh, build a bigger and bigger audience. No, we want to not even, we're not even about just merely making converts, right? So I want you to know that the, the baptistry is not the finish line, it's the starting line. And so for those of you that just placed your faith in Jesus, you got baptized, we want to help you take your next steps of growth. So I want to encourage you to go to this link, uh, Rooted. Uh, we are rolling this thing out called Rooted this next year. You're going to be hearing a lot about this uh, throughout the course of the uh, remainder of the year. Really, it is what it sounds like. We want to help root you in the faith. And so if you go to that link, you can get on an interest list as we're kind of developing and building this out. We still need lots and lots of leaders to step up and lead out in this, uh, but really excited about this as we roll this out. Now, uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Super easy to find. It's the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. And uh, we are jumping into a brand new sermon message series today uh, called Significant Other. And so what I want to do today, it's going to be a five-part series. Today, I'm largely just sort of setting the table, uh, setting the foundation for where we're going uh, in the remainder of this series. And so I've been uh, praying about and preparing this series for a number of weeks now. 
And, uh, you know, anytime I get together to do uh, like a, a wad with a group of people, a workout of the day, one of the things that we might do is we just might draw out a workout on the whiteboard, you know, so maybe a 20-minute imam, a power cleans and toaster bar. And we set, and then we'll step back and we'll look at it and we'll go, somebody will say this, they'll go, oh man, this is going to get a little spicy. And a few weeks ago, I've got this like glass dry erase board thing on the wall in my office. And I've just been uh, gathering resources and praying and planning. And I decided to just sketch out where we're headed through for this series, just outline the number of weeks that we're going to be in it, what we're going to try to cover. And I stepped back and I looked at it and I was like, oh man, like this is going to be spicy. And I just want you to know that uh, like those are usually the best workouts. And this is, this, this usually means this is hopefully going to be a transformational series in the life of our church and in the life of us as individuals. What I want to want you to know today is that I want to just uh, speak in, in the weeks to come, today and in the weeks to come. I just want to speak in a very frank, very straightforward way about some things that um, impact every single one of us. And so let me just kind of lay out where we're going. Uh, next weekend, we're going to talk about uh, two words that don't often go together, but we're going to put them together. We're going to talk about sexual formation. And I just want to kind of give you a heads up that that's going to be a PG-13 message. And so those of, you who have parent, those of you who are parents who have kids under the age of 12, I want to encourage you to bring them, but uh, take them to our kids' ministries. Uh, they're going to love it uh, in those environments. If you have kids 13 and older, I want you to bring them, sit with them, and embarrass them. All right? So... No, I'm just joking about that. I want you to, to actually take this content in with them. And the reason why, if you don't talk to your kids or disciple your kids in this area, someone else will and is already, all right? So uh, I think it's really, really important that we do that. So you come and you take notes and draw out diagrams and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, have a conversation with them later. All right, so then the next week, we're gonna break from the series for Mother's Day, and then we're gonna come back, and we're just gonna talk about things that maybe we wonder if we can or should talk about in church. So we'll talk about like dating and singleness and marriage and divorce and interpersonal conflict and, and all that. And, and I need to do this because here's the reason why. The culture speaks to us in a very, very straightforward way about many of these same issues. And oftentimes the church can be really, really silent on it for all kinds of reasons. Maybe we don't think we can talk about it in here. We're afraid of offending people and, or all that kind of a thing. But here's the thing that we need to understand is that the culture is constantly talking to us about it. And it shapes the way that we think about, speak about, and act upon relationships, dating, marriage, and sexuality. Now, we don't have to think about it in this way, but whatever you are exposed to on a consistent basis, here's what it does. It shapes your beliefs, it determines your perspective, and it guides your decisions. And the word for that is discipleship. And I want you to get real familiar with that. We hear that word and we sometimes, we don't exactly know what it means, but when I say discipleship, I mean, uh, what is shaping your belief, determining your perspective, and guiding your decisions? And I promise you, something is. Like nobody's neutral on this. And so this is the process by which we are being formed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. That's what we desire for you. And it's also the understanding that there is an enemy that is actively at work to deform the image and likeness of Jesus within you. And we are all disciples of something. We're all taking in content 
We are all uh, thinking about things, watching things, consuming things that shape our beliefs, determine our perspectives and guide our decisions. So, some of us are a disciple of, you know, Bieber. And we went to worship him this last week when he came to Indy for a concert. Some of us are disciples of golf. Some of us are disciples of that blogger or that influencer. And that's all fine and good. I just simply want to get you to understand that whatever you're constantly exposing yourself to, you are being discipled by. So the culture is constantly discipling us in the area of relationships, dating, marriage, and sexuality through media, music, entertainment, and policies. It just shapes the way that we think. So we're just gonna spend the next five weeks uh, just really unpacking, like, what does God's word have to say about all this? And I would be a poor excuse of a pastor if I didn't speak as straightforward to these things as what the culture does. Now, here's what I want you to understand about Jesus. Jesus does not just ask you to believe in him. Oftentimes we've sort of reduced Christianity to that. Like, I I just believe in him. The Bible says very clearly that even the demons believe in him and they shudder. So Jesus isn't just asking that you would believe in him. Great place to start. He is asking that you would believe him. That means that you would believe what he has to say about certain areas, subjects of our lives. That that we would recognize that God has a tremendous amount of wisdom when it comes to relationships, dating, romance, marriage, and sexuality. And so what I want us to do is I want us to begin to operate from the premise that since God made us and he designed us for connection, then he knows how it works best and he can help us sort through the baggage when things go wrong. And they do, unfortunately, all the time. Like right now in the room that you are sitting in, there's a tremendous amount of loneliness and struggling marriages and broken hearts. And I think oftentimes we've sort of been conditioned to think that if God has anything to say about romance and relationships and dating and marriage and sexuality, that it's bad news that God is sort of like a cosmic killjoy on this, that his basic answer is, you know, shame or judgment, or you should feel bad about yourself in that area. And maybe even there's some of you right now, maybe you invited somebody, maybe you were here last week at Easter and you heard about the series, like, well, I'll give that a shot. Maybe some of you, you just started that dating relationship and this is the second date. And right now there's like this hot heat coming out of your collar, like, oh no. And some of you are maybe sitting there going, I don't know that I'm gonna like what I'm gonna hear. And I just wanna, I I totally get that. Maybe you have good reason to feel that way because maybe you have a a bad church experience or maybe, you know, you went to college with a weird Christian and they kind of, you know, made you feel bad about this area of your life. So I I just want everybody to take a deep breath. In fact, let's just do it now. Just in through the nose, out through the mouth. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus came to bring good news. Do you believe that? Jesus came to bring good news. Now you may not initially receive that as good news at first, but it's ultimately for your good. He came to bring good news. In fact, you know what the Bible says about him is that Jesus came into the world not to condemn, but to save which, which uh, tells us that there's something that we need to be saved from. And he didn't come to condemn us. He came to set us free. In fact, listen to what Jesus says about himself in Luke chapter four. So informative. 
for our entire life, but even this specific area of our life. Says the, he's talking about himself. He goes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring, say it out loud, all of our locations, good news. That's why he came. He goes, man, I've come to bring good news to the poor. Now that could be monetarily poor, but there's all kinds of ways that we can be poor. You can have a lot in the bank and still be poor. You can be spiritually poor. You can be relationally poor. Like uh, you can be emotionally poor. He goes, I've come to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. I'm praying that for this series as well. Captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And so this is the tone that we want to establish for the whole series. And I've been trying to uh, be in as much prayer for this series as I've been preparing for this series, because right now I know that there are, uh, there's all kinds of hurt right now, all kinds of emotional baggage. And I'm praying that there would be those who are poor, blind, and oppressed relationally and emotionally that would be set free. Like I'm praying for that single adult right now who really wants to be married, but it hasn't happened for them yet. Like I'm praying that you would know that you're not half a person, regardless of maybe what other well-meaning Christians have sort of made you feel like, that you can find fulfillment as a single person and that God loves you and this, this series is for you. Like I'm praying for the marriages that are barely holding on by a thread and you've thrown everything at it. You've thrown counseling, you've thrown books, you've thrown those self-help conferences and nothing has seemed to work. And I'm actually praying that something supernatural would happen in this series and that you'd be set free from the thing that's been keeping you pinned down. I'm praying for that woman that's in a really abusive marriage and she doesn't think that she can leave because she doesn't know how she'll provide for her kids. And so she just stays and takes it. And I'm praying you'll be set free. And I'm praying for the man who is abusing her, that the Holy Spirit would convict him to his core, that he would knock that nonsense off in the name of Jesus. I'm praying that you'd be set free because Jesus came to bring good news. And so I'm gonna speak directly, but please don't misinterpret my directness for abrasiveness. I'm gonna speak very frankly, but I'm not gonna speak in a spirit of superiority. I'm gonna speak truthfully, but, but not pridefully. And, and the reason why is because I'm no expert, man. Like those of you who know me well, you're like, amen, like, amen. Like, it's, like I, I still struggle. Like I'm, I'm trying to grow in my EQ, my emotional intelligence. You know, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And God just continues to refine that in me. If I were to be honest, like I've got some like relational hurts in, in my heart. Like right now, there's like some interpersonal conflicts some some wounding that I've caused others and others have caused to me. Like, I'm just a mess. Like, like, I've been married for 23 years, 17 of them good. You know, like, it, it's, like, it's like the others were my fault, right? I mean, I'm married a saint, all right? You want to pray for our church, pray for my wife, all right? And so, and, and, and yet I still, like, mess up, I fail. My pride gets in the way more times than I would like to admit. So I'm not up here, like, saying, hey, do as I do. I'm up here as a fellow struggler saying, man, like, we need all the help that we can get from Jesus who came to bring good news. And one of the things I think that all of us would agree is that um, one of the things that makes life so incredibly um, uh, gratifying are relationships. Would you not agree with that? Like when you think about some of the best moments of your life, you think about the things that bring you joy and happiness, likely someone else is involved. You know, a, a great conversation around a good cup of coffee, 
like a, a walk along a beach, you know, playing with your kids at the playground, like some sort of relational connection. If for, regardless of your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram number, or if you're an extrovert or introvert, like we all crave social connection. And chances are that, that's one of the things like that just makes life so fulfilling. Now, I think that we would also agree that one of the things that makes life so incredibly painful, complex, and complicated are relationships. And all the beefs and the betrayals and the breakups, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. This last week, I didn't watch much of it, but I kind of saw it on in the background, you know, the, the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard depositions that were going on. And I don't even really know any details about it or who's to blame, but I do know just watching it, seeing the facial expressions and the things that were being said, it was heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking when you see relationships fall apart, people turn on each other. Several weeks ago, I preached on Mark chapter eight. Some of you were here for that or you recall it. And, and uh, uh, the passage was a father whose child was demon possessed and he brings the child to Jesus and says, if you can heal him. And Jesus says, man, if I can, man, any, anything you ask for, if you believe, I, it'll, it, I'll say yes. And, and so this guy said, man, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And we talked about healing and how the healing from God can come instantaneous, but Oftentimes healing is a process. Why? Because God is really interested in character formation. And oftentimes that comes through a process, not in an instant. So it can happen both ways. And then at the end of the message, I just said, hey man, like if you need prayer for healing, just come. Just come as you are and we just wanna pray over you. And at every location, we had just people fill the aisles and we were praying for people. Now, here's something that surprised me is that most of what I prayed for, I can't speak for everybody that prayed for people, but who I prayed for, it wasn't things physical in nature. There were some. Like there were some people saying, you know, I've got cancer or MS or I've got this chronic back pain and we just pray that God would heal that. Most of the requests were relational in nature. Most of the requests were like an estranged relationship with a son or daughter. Most of the requests were broken marriages or hurtful relationships or some sort of betrayal. And it really sort of startled me and I said to somebody on our team, I was like, you know, if we could just sort of pull back the veil and we could see the amount of emotional and relational pain that every single one of us are bringing into the room with us, then it would be overwhelming. The amount of broken relationships, interpersonal conflict and unmet expectations would just kind of smack us in the face. And I say all of that to say, really kind of make two points. Number one, if you're feeling any of that, you are not alone. You, you are not alone. The second thing that I wanna say is that instead of cursing, criticizing, or canceling each other, we need to have more compassion towards one another because of the stuff that's just going on in all of our lives. Have you ever noticed just how we have a tendency to all be experts on other people's relational problems and issues? During football season, some of you guys are such experts sitting on your couch, drinking a beer, right? criticizing all of the elite professional athletes for things you have never done, nor could you ever do. You're sitting on the couch and you haven't gone for a run in a decade and you're criticizing an athlete for dropping a pass. And you yell at the TV, you're like, how could he do that? Bum, train him to the Browns. You know, you're just like all upset. You've, you've just become this expert. Now, let me tell you why he dropped it because he was running <laughs> faster than you will ever run from someone running faster than you will ever be. 
who happens to be bigger than a truck, and if he catches him, is going to legally assault him. So maybe we could cut the elite athletes some slack. How many of you have ever dropped your phone and you were just walking? Nobody was tackling you. So let's be more compassionate towards one another. Like you just have no idea what that other person is going through in their personal and relational lives. And none of us have this all figured out. Why? Because we are all broken sinners in need of a savior who can put it back together, right? So let, let me kind of jump in. Genesis uh, chapters one through three is gonna be kind of foundational. I just wanna read a few of these verses and make a couple of observations here today. So, so starting off in Genesis 1.1, it says this, in the beginning, so I, I just wanna stop right there. There was a beginning. And right? we love to like, you know, split hairs and kind of get into arguments about, well, how did that beginning go down? And what is the literal six-day creation? A young earth, old earth, all that kind of stuff. And we can have all kinds of interesting debates while God is kind of sitting up there going, okay, come on, like you're missing, you're missing it. Like there was a beginning. And what you believe about the beginning will impact your relationships. It just will. Like if you believe that all of this is just random and by chance, we all just kind of fell together, that we're all just highly evolved animals with urges and desires and needs, then, then it doesn't really matter how we treat each other. But if you believe there was a beginning and that there was a God, creator God who had intentional purpose and design, that radically changes everything. So say God created the heavens and the earth. If you read on down from that, he talks about all the things within it that he created and how he did so. Now I wanna draw your attention to verse 26. Then God said, let us, now notice the plurality there, we'll come back to that. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Like what an amazing statement. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There was great intention and great design. So the first thing that I want you to see is that what you believe informs how you'll behave. What you believe informs how you will treat other people. Regardless of whether you have good chemistry with them, there's lots of interpersonal conflict, like, like this will just change the way that you treat other people. We all believe something about where we came from, how we got here, and what this is all about, even if what you believe is all this is just random and by chance. And what I'm just trying to draw your attention to is that what Genesis is telling us is that there was a beginning, there is a God, and he designed everything on purpose, including our relationships. He made us in his image. Now, what we believe about that will impact everything. Here's the question. Do you see the image of God in others? Do you see the image of God in the people you work with? Do you see the image of God in that person that you are dating and in that person that you are married to? See, we are spiritual beings. Therefore, what we do with our bodies physically will impact us spiritually. If not, then we are just highly evolved animals with desires to be fulfilled. And what ends up happening, this always this always ends up taking place is that we'll use people to meet those desires. And then whenever they don't meet those desires anymore, we discard them. So what you believe about all this will inform how we behave. Here's the second thing. We are all image bearers of a good God. So I just want you to receive this. I need you to hear this in a, in a day and age in which we are looking to the words of other people to affirm us. 
In the day and age when there's really low self-esteems and insecurities and depression, like I just need to remind you of the fact that you have worth and value because you are an image bearer of God and that that is how he sees you. I've got uh, four kids at home, 19, 17, uh, 15, and 10. And whenever I look at them, there are times whenever I just catch a glimpse, like we may be eating a meal together, we may be out and about somewhere, I'll just catch a glimpse and I'll just look at them and I see the image of their mama in them. And it just stirs my affections. Sometimes I see like, like my image woven into them, poor, poor kids. And I just kind of see that. And I was like, it's like oh, and what it does is just stirs my affections for them. And I could be frustrated with them. I could be discouraged, but I just see that. And I'm just reminded, man, they have inf- there isn't anything they could do to make me love them any less. And that you take that and multiply it out by a million. And that's what God sees when he looks at you. Here's what I wanna challenge you with. That person right now that is driving you crazy, well, so let's just take romantic relationships out of it. That person at work, that you know, person that li- you live next to, whatever, driving you crazy. I just simply want you to begin to see the image of God within them. You, and you just, just ask God for help in that. Like they may drive you absolutely crazy. You, you don't have to like them, but you can love them because they are an image bearer of God. All right, one last observation I'll make is that God is relational. And that's the reason why we are. It says in verse 26, let us make human beings in our image. Now, who's he talking to? Well, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's what we know as the Trinity. Lots of ways to to like explain this. How does it work? None of us really fully know. What we do know is that God is relational. Not three different gods in one, but one God existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The way it's been described to me before is his presence, his power, and his provision. Here's what I really want you to see. The Trinity shows us that God is relational and he has embedded that into you. That's the reason why we all crave relationships. It's the reason why babies, if they're not held and if they're not loved and if they're not talked to, it sets back their development. That has all been hardwired into us. We are all longing for this social connection. Now look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Everything up until this point that he had created, he created it and he goes, oh man, that's good. Oh, that's great. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Here's the only thing, or the first thing that he says isn't good is that man was alone. So he says, I'm going to make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Now notice these two little words in verse 23. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from Man. Now, lots of things that we could kind of talk about in that paragraph, maybe various emotional responses as we read those words. But the two words that I just simply want to draw your attention to were the first two words in verse 23, at last. And I just want you to feel the emotion and the desperation and the sense of relief in those words that he had been alone for a while. I don't know how long it takes to name all the animals. I'm guessing a while. And he's like, it's, it, and I think with each animal that's coming up, he's, he's just reminded 
that none of these things are like him. Admire them for sure. Oh man, that is amazing, incredible. I'm gonna give you that name, right? And, and yeah, he's sitting there going, but I'm alone. I'm alone. It was just a reminder. I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. Nobody to identify with. And all of a sudden, the, God gives him Eve and he recognizes immediately, man, she is like me, but she's different than me. And this was the beginning, like not long before, now we're gonna talk about this next week, that the very first command that God gave them was be fruitful and multiply. Can I get a good amen, right? That's the very first command that God gave to them. And they were naked, they didn't feel any shame and they were one flesh, right? We're gonna talk about that. But before any of that, they were friends. Before any of that, Adam looks at Eve and he's like, at last, Somebody that I can connect with, somebody that I can share with, somebody that I can love. And this was a way for him to image his creator. So, so you got this vertical uh, imaging with God, this relationship with God. God desires a relationship with us and then this horizontal relationship with one another. C.S. Lewis, uh, he writes about this in his book on the four loves. He says, we are born helpless. And as soon as we are fully conscious, we discover loneliness. We need others physically, emotionally, intellectually. We need them if we are to know anything, even ourselves. And Adam captures that paragraph in these two words, at last, at last. And my guess is that those words, at last, has been exclaimed from your heart multiple times throughout your lifetime whenever you've begun a new friendship with somebody. Those words, at last, you ever met somebody for the first time and you just immediately click, you just got this chemistry, you, you just become fast friends? You ever ha had that dating relationship? You know, he asked you out and, and you're like, oh, at last. You know, she said yes, at last. You know, it's like, you, you walk the aisle, at last. You've got this like, at last, that just comes out of us. This has happened to me multiple times in life and it's one of the greatest experiences ever. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, one of my friends, I was hanging out with a lot. He invited me over to his house. And man, we just had the best time. Like we came, went to his house after school and we built a skateboard ramp, you know, in his driveway. And this was the 80s, so, you know, all, all about it. And, uh, and then later that night, we went down into his basement to play Super Mario Brothers on the original Nintendo. So now I'm just kind of dating myself a little bit, right? And his mom, she uh, would bring us uh, Totino's party pizzas, just one after the other, right? Just... <laughs> Manna from heaven, man. There's just something about the Totino's party pizzas that just speak to my heart, all right? So, so, you know, and then we stayed up really late and then we got up the next morning. We went out in his driveway. We were shooting baskets and I was waiting for my parents to pick me up. And he was a really good athlete and he, he sh shot the ball. And, and I said to him, man, you're a great basketball player. And I'll never forget this. I don't know why this has stuck out in my mind. He turned around and he looked at me and he goes, man, thanks, Aaron. And then he said this, he goes, you're my best friend for this year. And I had no idea, like you had to like re-up on that, you know, but I was like, I'll take it, you know, I'll take it for this year. And I just remember like, even, I don't know that I had these words to say to it, but it was like this, like at last, somebody like wants to be my friend. Somebody called me best friend. It's like the best feeling in the world. I remember it was that same year that I developed my first crush, fifth grade, great year for me. And uh, her name was Camille Wolf. What a great last name but she was a fox to me, all right? And, and I just remember like, I was like, oh man, like how do I get her attention, you know? And, and, uh, and I, I'll never forget like one afternoon, like she dropped some papers and she got on the ground to pick them up. And I was like, I gotta do something, I gotta do something, I gotta do something. And so I was like, I'll just jump over her. <laughs> like ladies, that's just like how we think. Like, honestly, I'm 46 years old. Really, not much has changed, really. And so 
So like, I, I remember I jumped over and my left foot cleared her head, but the right foot tailing from behind did not. And man, I just drilled her right in the temple and she fell down on the ground. I, and I remember like going, oh no. And I turned around and she, her hair was all messed up and her face was red and she had a red mark on her temple. And she looked up at me and she glared at me and she was like, Aaron. And then right there in that moment, there was a little smile and she looked away and I was like, oh yeah, she's into me. She's into me. And man, we began a fast and a furious romance for the next two weeks. And then she broke my heart when she told me that her parents were moving to Cincinnati. And just as quickly as it began, it ended. And I've never seen her since. So Camille, like if you're watching, right? Just what, what could have been, right? So, so all of us like, hey, hey, there's a reason why that happens. We are imaging our father. And those words, at last, like that pops up in our hearts all the time in friendships, family, friends, relationships, and it all culminating in one person who becomes our um, boyfriend, girlfriend, our, our companion, our partner, uh, our, our spouse that we have covenanted with. And we're gonna talk more about that in this series that we build a life with and raise a, a family with. And what I want you to see is that our, our culture has a tendency to put all the emphasis on uh, romantic love. What I want you to see is that it all has to be undergirded with this deep and abiding friendship where you see the image of God in this other imperfect person. And the two of us, like you're not looking to them to fulfill all the empty places in your life. Only God can do that. You're actually looking to help them be formed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. And they are helping you be formed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. This is the reason why marriage is so hard because marriage exposes us. Like you can hide and you can pretend and pretty much like your whole dating relationship is just one big audition where you're just presenting the best versions of yourself. You get into a marriage and you just can't hide it. Like it just comes out into the open. And yet that's a gift of grace as well because what God is doing is he is forming our character through that. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talks about how uh, love can, can be unpacked in a variety of ways. We have a tendency just to see it from one lens, but we have philia love, which is friendship love. This is where we get the word Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. So we have friendship love. And then we have a storge, which is um, empathetic, like nostalgic kind of love. And then we have eros, which our culture puts so much emphasis on this, but this is like erotic love. And then you have agape love, which is sacrificial what I just simply want us to see is that um, love has different forms. We, we live in a culture that sort of cheapens the word love because we use it for everything. It's like, oh, I'm so in love with him. Or I love my wife. Or I love pizza. And we're like, wait a second. Like, th that word doesn't have the same weight because there are different kinds of love. Now, I, all I'm sim simply doing is kind of introducing this. We'll kind of unpack this further in the series. But we have to order the loves right. So, and I'm giving just a little bit of a teaser where we're going to when we talk about dating. Many times we kind of start with like eros, like am I attracted to this person? And hopefully maybe we'll build a friendship. It's like, no, we have to start with friendship. I'm not saying that physical attraction isn't important, but we start with friendship. We get the loves ordered correctly and we understand, we, we cannot place upon this other person that they will fill the gap that only God himself can fulfill. So, all of this is a living illustration, an example 
of what it is that God desires for us. So when we talk about a rela- saving relationship with God, we, we, talk, we talk about that in a variety of ways. You know, he saved me, he's my Lord, he's my Savior. All that is true. But what I want you to know is that the Gospel of John puts it this way. God desires to be your friend. Friendship with God. And that our friendship with God, our connection to God, has been damaged because of sin. John's gospel is known as the love gospel. And he talks about the the love of God this way. Notice this in, in chapter 15. He goes, this is my commandment. Love each other. Love each other how? In the same way I've loved you. By the way, that would be agape love. There, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends. This is Jesus talking to you. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. There needs to be this deep and abiding friendship. And there's a lot of heartache right now due to broken relationships. And really what it comes down to is the friendship fell apart. And that's what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Is that Satan attacked Adam and Eve's friendship first. He went after their relationship. And he continues to today. And it's one of the ways that he seeks to destroy the image of God within us. So if you ever wondered, why is marriage so hard? It's because there is an enemy actively opposing it. Now, we don't want to over-spiritualize that and say, well, it's all Satan to blame. But I am saying he's not making it any easier. That if it's the way that we image God, and if it's actually a living example illustration of salvation, he hates that. And so he's going to do everything he can to destroy it. And uh, right now, there are so many struggling marriages and so many struggling relationships and so much baggage. If the statistics are anywhere near being accurate, then Christian marriages really don't look any different than non-Christian marriages. There's like just as much divorce. There's just as much strife. There's just as much abuse and betrayal. And that's tragic. And many times we're just sort of like um, wondering, where do we go from all this? And in the coming weeks, we're going to continue to explore God's design, what went wrong, and how he's seeking to redeem and Restore, But for now, let me leave you with this. Part of the way that we destroy or damage relationships is when we look to another imperfect, fallen, sinful person, a significant other, to do for us what only God can. And it happens all the time when someone fails to meet our expectations. And so what we're doing is we bought into the words of the great theologian, Jerry Maguire, and we're just looking for the one. And we're just like, man, I just got to find the one. If I can just find the one, then they're going to complete me. They're going to fulfill me. They're going to make me happy. They're going to make all my wildest dreams come true. And that's just a lot of pressure that nobody's designed to live up under. What I want you to know is that we're all broken sinners. There's all a space within us that no other human being can fulfill. So two half-empty people, when they meet each other, they do not make a whole. Two half-empty people that meet each other without God just makes a large sucking sound. (laughs) And we were made for connection. But our connection with that other person cannot be ultimate. This is why the greatest gift you can give your spouse is to say, you are not number one. Jesus is number one. You're number two. You're number two. 
This is why if you're in a dating relationship and he's not a believer, she's not tracking with the Lord, this is not a, this is not a statement on value of like who they are personally. This is just, the Bible, talk, I'll talk about this more in coming weeks. The Bible talks about being unequally yoked. This is the whole idea of like, like two animals that are yoked together pulling. And if one is outpacing the other, or one is a different size, it's just gonna make a mess. This is the idea of, is this other person um, have they placed God number one in their life and you number two? Be- because if not, what they're doing is they're, they're making you God. And that's gonna ultimately crush you. Once again, we come back to C.S. Lewis and he says this, he goes, we may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance, listen to this, which we owe only to God. And when that happens, they become lowercase g gods. And then if we make them a lowercase g God, eventually they become demons then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves. For natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. They are still called so, but can become in fact complicated forms of hatred. And so what I wanna do uh, as we kind of conclude week one of this series before we kind of venture on into the rest of it is I just simply wanna just extend this opportunity to say to to many of you that are maybe kind of holding on by a thread, maybe you're in the midst of a really painful set of circumstances this, this might be an opportunity in which God dramatically changes your relationship. That God dramatically and supernaturally saves your marriage. And maybe you've thrown everything else at this relationship, but you've not yet fully invited Jesus in. Or, or here's the thing. Some of you are really skeptical because you're like, Aaron, we've tried this. We've gone to counseling. We went to that conference. We read that book. Nothing seems to happen. I understand all that, but be, there's still breath in your lungs. Man, don't give up. Like, would you just place yourself in this opportunity to say, you know, God, I really, like we're at the end of our rope. Like it's gonna require a miracle for you to come in and to salvage this. And some of you are gonna look back on this moment as the moment that changed your marriage, that that changed your dating relationship. Like, Like I really do believe that there's gonna be marriages that are gonna get saved in this series. There's gonna be, um, some dating relationships, unfortunately, that are gonna break up because you're gonna realize that this person is not leading me closer to God. They're actually making me a God, which eventually I will become a demon in their life. There's actually gonna be some new relationships that are gonna start, some dating relationships that are gonna start, and we're gonna celebrate that. There's gonna be people that are gonna find some hope and new life. You're gonna resolve that interpersonal thing. Now is your moment. Now's your moment. And what I wanna ask you to do um, is I just wanna get you, you to get real vulnerable. Like I want us to stop pretending. The Bible says very clearly that if we publicly stand up and say, you know, Jesus, you are God, like I'm unashamed to follow after you, that he recognizes that and he blesses that. And I'm just even wondering if there would be people at all of our locations that right now you would be like, you know what? I really need God's supernatural intervention in my marriage, in my dating relationship, uh, in this relationship with a significant other. And, and I wanna invite him in. I wanna actually listen to what the designer has to say about the design. Then would you just be vulnerable and courageous enough to, right now, just, we're all eventually gonna be standing here in a minute. But would you just be, stand to your feet and go, no, I wanna invite Jesus in. I'm, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna invite him into my relationships. And I want him to speak. I want him to bring healing. Just look around the room, man. Like you are not alone. Like we are all in this together, pulling for each other. God, please, we, we, we wanna hear you. We, the culture has been discipling us in sexuality and relationships for far too long. We wanna hear what the designer has to say.
So I'm gonna pray. Here's what we're gonna do in the spirit of what we did a few weeks ago where we just had you come for pray for healing. I just want you to come. And, and, and there'll be people lined up down front and you just, all you need to do is just say, hey, uh, pray for me. You don't have to go into all the details, but just, man, pray for me right now. I'm really struggling with blank. Pray, pray for our marriage right now. Pray, pray for my dating relationship. Pray right now that that would be open to hearing what God would have to say to me. And you just come and receive prayer. We want to receive you today. Father, we come to you today. And I thank you for relationships. I thank you that you have made us as social beings designed to connect with one another because that's one of several ways that we image you as a relational God. And yet we've allowed our culture and our society to shape the way that we think about dating, relationships, marriage, and sexuality. And so God, we wanna hear from you because it's not working. (laughs) It's not working right now. There's so much pain and there's so much heartbreak. And so God, we just invite you to bring good news. We invite you to speak into those barren places of our life. And we ask this in Jesus' name.